0: Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe. We praise your name, Lord, for your word. We're thankful, Lord, for the power of your word. And we ask that your power would rain down upon us and that you would speak through me as your instrument and speak to each one of our hearts and our minds and lift us into heavenly places in you. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Our topic today comes out of Hosea, book of Hosea, chapter 12 and 13. Well, first with eleven, twelve at the, the end of chapter 11, verse 12, Ephraim has encircled me with lies, the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah still walks with God, even with the Holy One who is faithful. And so makes this contrast regarding Ephraim, the ten, representing the ten northern tribes, uh, even though Ephraim was with one tribe, but he's representing there in this phrase here, of the northern tribes um, lying and being deceitful. It's uh, Hebrew poetry there, saying the same thing twice. And then Judah, representing the tribes in the south, Judah, Benjamin, the Levites, and a whole bunch of the uh, people from the north who, over the years, have gone down to the south so they could worship God. But Judah still walks with God. And then again, saying it twice, even with the Holy One who is faithful. And so Judah, at this time, was still serving the Lord and walking with the Lord and had been, for the most of the years prior to this, some ups and downs, but mostly up. And so it's acknowledged here uh, at this time during the time of Hosea. Now into chapter 12, verse 1. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. Also, they make a covenant with the Assyrians. So they're lying, they're lying to themselves, they're feeding on the wind, false doctrines, of false prophets. Feeding them, and uh, and but then they're also making a covenant with the Assyrians. And the Assyrians uh, were their enemy, and come down and attacked them several times. Now they're making a covenant with them, hoping that they will help them, and be appeased by this covenant, which ends up becoming disastrous. The Assyrians are the ones who eventually do come down and destroy Northern Israel and take them captive, and disperse them. Verse Verse 2, the Lord will punish Jacob according to his deeds. And so there is judgment, there is a judgment that will come and we are judged according to our choices and our faith and which manifests itself in our actions according to our deeds. The Lord will punish Jacob according to his deeds. He took his brother by the heel in the room. In his strength he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. There he spoke to us. The Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorable name. And so a couple interesting things here. Talks about the punishment of Jacob according to his deeds. Jacob referring to all 12 tribes. Uh, gave birth to the 12 tribes, or uh, wives gave birth to the 12 tribes. And verse 3, he took his brother by the heel in the womb referring back to, to, uh, to Jacob when he came out of the womb with his brother Esau and Jacob grabbing onto Esau's heel. And that's where he gets his name, the deceiver or the deceptor or the tripper upper one, the grabber of the heel. He struggled with God at the end of verse 3. And in his strength, he struggled with God. Verse 4, he struggled with the angel. Well, which is it? Verse 3, he struggles with God. Verse 4, he struggles with the angel. Obviously, this is not just any angel, uh, just created being. But it's God, I guess, as an appearance of an angel. And in the text itself, in Genesis, where it talks about this, it says he struggled with a man. He wrestled with a man. But we see by the time he's uh, finishing wrestling with this man, which here is referred to as God and is also referred to as an angel, he calls the place Peniel for I have seen the face of God. And so he acknowledges that this man, this angel, this God that he wrestled with was indeed God. And and of course, the Bible tells us no one has seen God, the Father, and so he's wrestling with a pre-incarnate form of the Messiah, Yeshua, is there wrestling with him, the same one who walked with Adam and Eve. The same one who Moses saw his back as he passed through and, and who covered him in the cleft of the rock. And the same one who talked to Manoah uh, uh, and Samson's parents and, and, and several other occasions through the scriptures and came and met with Abraham and promised that uh, he wouldn't destroy Sodom or Gomorrah if there were ten people there and that, he would give, that Sarah would give birth to a child. So we have lots of different instances of of God appearing as a man. And so he's referred to here this way. Uh, sometimes referred to as the angel of the Lord. So we see a reference to that. He struggled with the angel and prevailed. And he wept and sought favor from him. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And there he spoke to us. So there God spoke to us, speaking to us through speaking to us. To Jacob. He's speaking directly to Jacob, but Jacob giving birth to the rest of us, he's speaking to us in the blessing he has pronounced upon Jacob. Because again, Hosea is not a historian. He's not writing and bringing up this whole Jacob deal to remind us of the past. He's wanting to point us to the future. And so he spoke to us, and the Lord God of hosts, the Lord, that's the yod he vav form of God, is his memorable Name, And so we hearken back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 32, where this event took place, this wrestling. And Jacob gets his name changed in this wrestling. So he spoke to us. God spoke to us. He says, your name shall no more be called Jacob. But Israel, why is he changing his name from Jacob to Israel? Jacob the deceiver, the heel grabber? For, but, or for, as, because, As a prince, thou hast had power with God and with men and has prevailed. And that word prevail, we just read that in Hosea as well. And so the word Israel literally means prince with God or a prevailer with God or an overcomer with God, which Jacob was. He was a deceiver, but then he repented of his sins, turned to God, and prevailed. Wrestled with God, I will not let you go until you bless me. And God took away his disdain, took away his sin, took away his carnal heart, took away his past record and replaced him and made him an overcomer with God, a prince with God. And as we saw in Hosea, the beginning of chapter 11, verse 1 in Hosea, uh, Israel, it represents the Messiah to come, who is the literal, the real prince with God who is the real overcomer with God, the one who has prevailed in our behalf. Thus, God spoke to us through Jacob, and speaking to Jacob, and speaking through Jacob into Israel, into Yeshua, into the Messiah that would come. And then, of course, anyone who is then united with the Messiah, Yeshua, who is the ultimate form of Israel the ultimate prevailer with God, becomes his child, becomes his brother, becomes his sister, becomes united with him, and thus takes on his name as well. And thus we become overcomers with God as well, prevailers with God as well, princes with God, and princesses with God as well. What a holy calling that he has raised us up to. That's what he's promising to Ephraim, if they will heed. Verse 6, but your God, by your God, return. Observe mercy and justice and wait on your God continually. By your God, return. Teshuvah, repent, turn back, turn to God. Not in our own strength, not in our own power. Jacob prevailed with God. He overcome with God. And so by your God overcome be an overcomer with God last week I told about a lady who was trying to overcome this video game thing and as she fell back into it well praise God it's been six days she's overcoming <laughs> praise the Lord I got another email today and she's going victory to victory God's convicted her on another area and, uh, and so she's now giving up cursing and so God's giving her victory and victory and other things in her life and, and so Once we get into that habit of realizing how to overcome in God's strength. When she first gave it up, the first day she gave up, uh, she said, she wrote me and said, uh, I knew if I put my mind to it, I could do it. And I said, it's not putting your mind to it that gave you the victory. It's God who gives you the victory. And sure enough, after that, she fell uh, back into it. And so today she said, it's been six days. Praise God, because I know it's not me. <laughs> See? And that's the whole difference. It's by your God, by his power, by his strength, by his might, him changing our heart, allowing him to take out the carnal heart out of us. Return, and then he gives us the power to observe mercy, justice, and to wait on God continually. continual walk with God. He loves to oppress. Ephraim said, surely I have become rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they shall find in me no sin. And so Ephraim saying, I'm rich. Look, I've done good. I'm doing pretty good. Mom, look at me, no hands. Right? And pride cometh before a fall. You don't find any sin in me? Boasting here. God is able to give us victory over all sin. But as he does that, we will not be boasting about it. We won't be looking at ourselves and admiring how good we are. We'll be looking to the Lord and realizing there's more he wants to do in our lives. Even as we are not committing any known rebellious uh, choosing to disobey God, Thus, we are able to have victory over the sins that we know, but we'll be looking on to him. And as we look at him throughout eternity, we'll see there's always more that he can do in our lives. There's more that he wants to raise us up to. And so it's when we say, oh, I am rich, right? And uh, Laodicea, that's a problem. In Revelation, the people of Laodicea, it says, they say, I am rich and increased with good and have need of nothing. And God says, but in reality, you're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And you know it not. And that's the worst part. Know it not. Because we think we're so good. We think We have no sin. And so, God gives us wonderful promises, and then he tells us Ephraim is proud. Verse 9. But I am the Lord your God. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the appointed feast. I have spoken by the prophets and multiplied visions. By a prophet the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet he was preserved. So there's... Ephraim is fallen, Ephraim is rebellion, Ephraim is lying, Ephraim is deceitful, but my, but God is able to overcome. Through God, they're able to overcome. By God, return. Ephraim is boasting and no sin, but I am the Lord your God. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. For every sin that Ephraim manifested, God said he's got a solution for it. And then he reminds us, you can make us dwell in tents and that peace. And by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Who's this prophet he's referring to? Moses, Moses the prophet? Yes. Moses the one that brought us out of the land of Egypt? God. Did Moses part the Red Sea? God. Did Moses bring the 10 plagues? Yes. No, that's right. Who was in the cloud? And who was in the fire? God. It was God, that's right. And again, manifestation, another manifestation of Yeshua, the Messiah, standing in defense and delivering us. The angel of the Lord coming through and working his deliverance. Verse 14, Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. Therefore, his Lord will leave the guilt of his bloodshed upon him and return his reproach upon him. So again, one of the promises. But I am the Lord. I can deliver you. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. But Ephraim chooses to provoke him to anger. And thus his sin will remain upon him. Even though God's grace is wonderful, even though God's grace is tremendous, even God's grace is able to cover every sin. You know, the Messiah has already died for all of our sins. The sacrifice has already been paid. We don't need a temple in Jerusalem. We don't need to offer sacrifices anymore. The blood has already been paid price has already been given but even in light of all that grace that he's given to us even in order that he's already paid the price for us if we choose to remain in bitterness if we choose to provoke him if we choose to disobey god our guilt will remain upon us and our bloodshed will return upon us and the reproach will be upon us god will not be mocked while he is merciful and forgiving and long-suffering, he cannot allow sin to remain on the record. He cannot allow sin to remain on the heart and to be ignored. Chapter 13, verse 1. When Ephraim spoke trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. But when he offended through Baal worship, he died. When we come trembling before the Lord, acknowledging our weakness, acknowledging our need of God, acknowledging our need of his power, then he exalts us. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So stay low. Stay low. And the lower we are, the higher he can raise us up. But when Ephraim's saying, I am rich, He dies. Offers Baal worship. He dies. Come humbly before the Lord and stay humbly before the Lord. Stay dependent upon him. Yet I am the Lord your God, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. So the Lord our God, he is our Savior. Yeshua, Savior. He is our Savior. No God beside him. People say, well, where is Yeshua in the first part of the Bible? He's all over the place. The word Savior is there. It's his name. There is no God but him. He is our Savior. He is the deliverer. He is the one who delivers us from sin. He is the one who became the sacrifice for us representing the ram caught in the thicket with Abraham and Isaac, the lamb sacrifice. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Ephraim again offering sacrifices to Baal. God comes back and says, yet I am the Lord your God. I'm able to deliver you from that. I'm able to give you victory over that you shall know no God but me." There is no savior besides him. No savior. It's not multiple ways. There is no savior except by him. No one will be able to be forgiven except by the price that has already been paid. It's not good deeds overriding our bad deeds. It's not multitude of prayers overriding our bad deeds. It's not fasting that overrides our bad deeds. It's the sacrifice of the lamb that saves us, that delivers us from our record, that cleanses our record and washes it clean. On Yom Kippur, the ultimate cleansing day, the blood again of the goats has to be sprinkled upon the mercy seat of God the cleansing to take place. There's no savior, except the one who laid down his life as a sacrifice for us. Verse 6, and when they had pasture, and they were filled, they were filled, and their heart was exalted. Therefore, they forgot me. So I would be to them like a lion, like a bear deprived of her cubs. So again, they're exalted. They forget about God. We have peace and comfort. We forget about God. We see that in today's society as well. We have peace and prosperity and ease. So easy to forget about God. So easy to forget our dependency on God. So easy to look at our brains and our talents and our gifts and our skills and think we built ourselves up. We did it in our own power. It's only through God. It's only through him. We exalt ourselves. We forget God. And then God becomes against us. Really because we come against him. He's trying to help us over and over and over again through these chapters. He's saying, I am God. I am the deliverer. I will help you. I will be there for you. I can deliver you. I can save you. And we say, no, we don't want it. We don't need it. He comes across as an enemy, as a bear deprived of her cubs, as a lion against us. Verse 9, Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. He's continually reaching out. He's continually pleading for them to accept his help. I will be your king. Where is there any other that he may save you in all your cities? What kind of king can help you? And we saw throughout the time of Hosea, many, many kings came and went. They slew each other and assassinated each other and took over, started to try their own dynasties one after another. There was no help in the kings. The kings weren't any help to them. The Syrians weren't going to be any help to them. Their help is in God. Our help is in God. That's what he wants us to know. Trust in him. Verse 11, I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. So he's hearkening back again. Maybe the I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. He might be thinking of Saul there, first king of Israel. Basically, we rejected God, said we don't want God to lead through the judges. We want a king just like all the rest of the nations. We want to be like everybody else. We want to fit in. And so he gave us a king because that's what we wanted. But he was taken away because Saul started lowly but then got puffed up. Started to take credit for himself. So he become proud. And he had to be taken away. The iniquity of Ephraim then was bound up in his sin and stored up. Verse 14, but I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. And to attempt after attempt after attempt of Ephraim falling and rebelling, God continually saying, but I can give you grace. I can deliver you. I can even deliver you from the grave. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. So he delivers us from the wrong kings. He delivers us from Egypt. He delivers us from ourselves. Saves us from our pride. And he's able to deliver us from death. Paul then takes this phrase and Expounds upon it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51. We shall not all sleep, referring to death. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, Here's a reference to Yom Kippur. The last trump on the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, we have Rosh Hashanah announcing them with the trumpets. The day of judgment is coming. The day of judgment is coming. And then on Yom Kippur, at the end, the final trump is blown. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. What does mortal mean? Subject to death. That's right. And that's what we are all born with. None of us are born with any immortality. None of us have immortality in ourselves. We're born mortal. But this mortal must put on immortality. When? When this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be fulfilled the saying, and then he quotes Hosea. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The final victory, the ultimate victory that gains victory over death, that saves us from death. The only way he's able to save us from death is if he saved us from life. He saved us from living to ourselves. He saved us from our pride. He saved us from our selfishness. He saved us from our boastings and delivered us in this life. Give us victory in this life. And then lay in the grave. And then when Messiah comes again, at the last trump, he'll call forth. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Messiah will rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And as we're ascending with the angels to meet the Lord in the air, we'll turn back. And we'll say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Our Lord has delivered us. He has broken the bonds of mortality and has given us the gift of immortality. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life through Yeshua our Messiah. Give us everlasting life. Give us life and life more abundantly here and now as well. And then, life eternal with the gift of immortality. He'll take us to be with him to the mansions. Be not afraid. Be not dismayed. For in my father's house, he says, are many mansions. I go there to prepare a place for you. That when I come again, you shall be where I am. He comes to take us home. Comes to deliver us. And so Ephraim, with its ups and downs and more downs than up, God presents to them wonderful promises of hope wonderful promises of restoration. God's arm is not too short to say, nothing is impossible for the Lord. So we trust in him and surrender to him. Next week, we'll look at the final chapter in Hosea, just filled with wonderful promises, promises of restoration for Ephraim. Interesting to see how God plays that out in the future here in his love for his people. So as we pray and we look forward to the Messiah's coming, to his great deliverance, when he will raise the dead, when he will change the corruptible into incorruptible, when he gives us New bodies of immortality. we look forward to that, in the here and now, let us pray for the victory. Let us pray for the power to endure to the end by his strength and his might. Let us surrender all our lies. Let us surrender all our deceits. Let us surrender all our self-lying to ourselves. Denial of any sin, denial of any pride or boasting that we're rich and increased with goods, thinking that we have need of nothing, thinking that we've gained the victory in our own strength, our reliance on our own cunnings and our own wisdom, and our own abilities. Let us surrender it all. Let us struggle with God and wrestle with God. Say, I will not let you go until you bless me. Let us allow him to change our names from Jacob to Israel, from the grabbers of selfish ones to the overcomers with God. Let us come trembling before our Lord and our God, that he can lift us up. Let us walk humbly and obedient with him. He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what he requires of thee, to do justice, do justly, and walk humbly with our God. That he might lift us up. Be lifted up in him. As he lifts us up now, then he will be able to lift us up at his coming. As he lifts us up from our death of sin now, he'll lift us up from the death in the grave then as we trust in him and rely on him. Instead of making covenants with the Assyrians, let's make a covenant with the Lord our God to serve him and him alone, with all our hearts and with all our souls and with all our minds. So as we pray tonight, let's recommit and commit our lives to him and covenant to be with him and look forward to the promise of his coming. So we pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful for your deliverances in our past. We're thankful, Lord, you delivered us from Egypt. We're thankful, Lord, you delivered Jacob. We're thankful, Lord, that you sent the prophet and has led and guided and directed in our ways. We're thankful that you've provided salvation for us. We're thankful that you've provided a savior. Thank you, Yeshua, for coming and dying for our sins and taking them upon yourself and paying the price for them. Lord, take them out of our hearts and out of our minds and out of our character. Destroy our carnal nature and fill us with your spirit, fill us with your glory, fill us with your righteousness. Work in us and out of us, leading us by your hand, placing us beside you, that we may see your face. his power to return to you and return to you wholeheartedly. And when you come, may we be resurrected with you. May we ascend to you. And be taken before your throne with you. Beside you there is no other. Lord, we want you and you alone. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.